All right, I'm back, folks, and uh, today I'm going to be talking about the second topic of the big three. The big three being, uh, if you remember from my first episode, racism, COVID, and government overreach. Now, I've talked about COVID to death, okay, for the time being, and government overreach is never-ending, okay, because they never stop trying. And we'll get into some of that today as I talk with you about what our schools are doing and teaching to our kids. So that leaves racism. So this is a subject that I've talked about more and more over the last few years in the wake of BLM, Antifa, and other such groups that have completely flipped the tables. Uh, And they have become the very things that they claim to be against. And the other thing that we'll be discussing is, of course, the thing that pisses people off, our education system and the government's control of it and their efforts to indoctrinate your children without a parent's input or without your input or without your consent to the government curriculum. Politicians in office and those running for office, all of them decidedly on the left, have decreed that parents do not have a say in what their children should be taught and do not and should not have a say in the education of their children. The left is using racism, Marxism, and every other ism that you can think of to twist and then shred every aspect of what makes this nation different and greater than any nation the world has ever known. The left's indoctrination of our children seeks to undermine the parents' right to guide their own children through life as they see fit, and it seeks to undermine and destroy the nuclear family and encourages children to rebel against their parents and take adversarial positions against the values that parents want for their children, and it seeks to lay the foundations of a society that only knows what the government has told them, thereby ensuring the absolute power of the government and ensuring that the consent of the governed is a faded memory in history. What would the great minds, the men and women in history, the men and women of great consequence have to say about where we are today and where we're headed as a country? Have all of their endeavors been for naught? Is the American experiment a failure? And is American strength and honor a thing of the past? And are we doomed to live in fear of our government officials and resign to abdicating our responsibilities and obligations as free people to a one-party authoritarian ruling class? Are we doomed to be perpetually divided against each other, as orchestrated by the Democrat left in this country? Or are we destined to confront such efforts to subjugate the undeniable truth and, and turning our children against us? Are we destined to push back on those narratives that seek to separate us by color of skin and race and class? Are we not destined to be the guards of liberty and unity for our children and the generations to come? I believe that's our destiny. Because the truth is, this nation was built on the very concepts that all men are created equal. All are equal under the law and under God. And it is our sacred duty to ensure that we as a people understand what America is and what it's meant to be for all of us. We're in a fight for human dignity and decency, the truth and our liberty, and we better recognize that as a people, folks, not just as conservatives. We're still behind the eight ball, as we've discovered that the left has for decades installed people in positions of power that want nothing more than absolute power 
to control your lives and the lives of your children. I believe we're beginning to recognize what's happening in our country, and I believe that the American people are now waking up and rising to this time, and are beginning to draw the lines and taking the stand against tyranny. As we have done throughout this country's history from the day of its birth, the American people are beginning to overtly and loudly challenge the left's in-your-face tyrannical efforts to control your children. The left no longer hides its true intentions, and neither should we. It is time to resist. This is The Last Stand. You're listening to another awe-inspiring episode of The Last Stand, the first and last bastion of the First Amendment in free speech and the expression of unapologetically accurate and righteous opinion of free people that continue to outrage leftists everywhere. This is your American spirit-inspiring podcaster, Wild Bill, and uh, this is going to be another two-parter, folks, because you know that's just how it's been rolling lately, but... uh, The saga continues, folks. The saga continues. back folks to the highly anticipated and most anticipated podcast the last stand i'm your less than humble host bill schaefer also known as wild bill of the wild bill fame uh (laughs) it's good to be back in the saddle uh here again folks uh last week was my first week back to the old job and uh i have to say that it was very productive it was a very productive week and i uh, once again, thoroughly enjoyed doing what it is that I do best. But uh, anyway, I'm back, and uh, let's dig right into this uh, thing here, because this is going to be long. Like I said, this is going to be a two-parter, folks, and uh, this one, I'm not even going to get this one done. I, I have been reading and uh, trying to coalesce my thoughts to how I want to approach all of this, and I'll tell you, the more I think about this this uh, this whole racism thing and how it's being used— the more pissed off I get. And I know a lot of people are getting pissed off about it as well, okay? It's nothing new. It's been around for a while. I just think that our toleration, you know, our tolerance for it uh, has is reaching a peak now, okay? I know mine has for a long time, and I'm just, I'm tired of it, okay? You may have noticed that uh, the instances of people challenging the left's indoctrinations and tenets and ideologies 
especially in schools, have increased. So much so that this administration has authorized the full force of the federal government, okay, the FBI, to go after parents who challenge and oppose things like critical race theory and the idea that America is an inherently evil place that fought the revolution against the British in order to maintain the institution of slavery, like the 1619 Project does, okay? Which, of course, this is all nonsense. And, you know, even if it were true, it certainly isn't true today. I mean, after all, we did have a civil war, of which the biggest theme was the institution of slavery. One of the things that pisses me off about critical race theory and groups like BLM and Antifa and other racial groups that say racism is institutional and inherent in the white population of this country is that it automatically places a restriction or a a limitation or an obstacle to a segment of the population that happen to be black or happen to be people of color. Okay. Now, now we all know that this country has had its tiny share in the scheme of world history uh, of problems with race and ethnicity. Okay. And there's no doubt small examples where we still have some of those issues today among individuals. Okay. Among a minute percentage of people in this country. Okay. With regard to what we know and remember as discrimination and racism towards blacks in this country. And let me just say this. I'm using the terminology and verbiage like black when referring to individuals, race, and communities. But to be honest, I can't stand using that terminology to set apart and reference people of one nation. I really can't. I'm at that point now, okay? I've always been at that point. But because people have made that an issue, and in some cases demand that those kind of descriptors are used and made an issue of when referring to a segment of the American people, I have to use those descriptors and references to skin color so that the people who really need to hear this can follow the conversation here and follow my line of thought, okay? I I can't stand using or segregating the people like that. I really can't because these days, issues are American issues. They're not black issues. They're not white issues. They're not Latino issues. These are American issues that we have to tackle, and we can only do it together. So when we start referring to segments of the population, I I mean, really, that just really starts to chap my ass, okay? I can't stand it. But just know that I'm doing it so that people can follow the conversation and my line of thinking here, okay? Um, I'm of the belief that we are one people. And like I said, I don't believe there's black issues or issues that only the black community should or can address, I don't even believe in the idea of black or white communities, okay? I mean, certainly we have areas where the neighborhood is predominantly black or predominantly white, okay? But that, that, that doesn't indicate any kind of racism or systemic racism uh, or anything like that. N- not from my perspective, okay? I do believe in American communities, Okay, I don't like the idea of the term African-American because it automatically separates the individual from America. I don't. And and I don't like that any more than I would like Irish-American or Italian-American or anything like that when when referring to uh, a segment of the population. Okay, now, like I said, you can parse all day long. Okay, yes, we have little clubs and things like that for Irish people, Italian people. Uh, you know, German people, things like that. Yep, it's out there, okay? But when referring to ourselves, 
we refer to ourselves as Americans, and that should be no different for people of color, okay? We're all Americans. What affects one affects us all, and together we need to unite and tackle those issues that affect us all, okay? It's not a black or white thing, and that's, that's why I think the way I do in terms of, of the verbiage and terminology that we use here, all right? Yeah, I mean, if you want to get down to it, we believe that, you know, white organizations, okay, to address white issues would be met with an ungodly amount of criticism and rejection and demonization, and, and probably rightly so, okay? So if that's the case, then why do we continue to applaud uh, black organizations? Why? Why do we legitimize them? Why do we have the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People today? Why do we have Black Lives Matter? Okay? Why do we have the Black Congressional Congress? Okay? Or, or the Congressional Caucus? Why, you know, why do we continue to segregate by having black colleges? Okay? Or black college funds? And black television stations? Why, why can't we just have colleges, TV stations... And Congress or caucuses. And Republicans continue to puzzle me in this regard as well. If we're the party, rhetorically speaking now, if we're the party of American solidarity and do not see race or groups of people as classes and races as victims, then why the hell do we have a black Republican caucus? Why? Why do we have black Republican anything? We're all, we're, we're all part of... The American effort, the conservative effort. Why do we continue to segregate ourselves this way? You know, I mean, we all know that at one time in history, there was a need for such organizations to exist like the NAACP. Okay. Today, I believe that there are relics of the past. Okay. Just as Jim Crow is a relic of the past. It's, it's in the ash heap of history. Okay. Now, the Democrats will t- try to tell you otherwise, okay, and attempt to raise the specter of Jim Crow by characterizing legislative efforts of Republicans as Jim Crow laws, which, of course, is complete bullshit. But this is what we've allowed to happen. And from my perspective, all this does is allow for the justification of segregating a people. I don't like it. And I don't like the fact that we have, like I said, things like the Black Republican Caucus or the, or the Black Congressional Caucus, okay? I damn sure don't like the fact that we've got groups like Black Lives Matter, okay? It's racist shit, and I don't like it. And like I said, I, I touched on this already, but, but this is what I don't get. This is where I keep trying to spin my wheels here. Rhetorically speaking or asking here, if we say that America is not systemically racist, if we say that America is the land of opportunity for all, then why do we practice the very things that would seem to defy that belief? Why do we continue to engage in programs that elevate a race as separate? Okay? Why do we allow our colleges and learning institutions uh, to create race-based special areas like the black-only colleges or dorms or study spaces? Okay? Why are the relics like the NAACP still in existence? 
And why, with everything else in between, do we continue to live in a past and make that past the scapegoat for everything that is wrong with society and with people today? Okay? I don't get it. I just don't. And maybe I'm a little old-fashioned. Or, or maybe, you know, quite honestly, maybe I'm living in 3042. And the rest of y'all are living in 1982. Okay? America is not systemically racist, folks. The country is not racist. But we allow these inconsistencies in order to prove that we're not. Okay? We allow all those black groups to exist. And, and like I said, the idea of the 1619 Project, Black Lives Matter, okay, even elements of Antifa, okay, we allow those things to exist because we want to prove that we're not racist. Those groups want to be separate because they believe that we are and that we should be. From my perspective, again, we're seeing a photo-negative replay of the ugly and misguided history in America whereby people who are white, who never owned a slave, never raised a hand against anyone, are being attacked, beaten, and killed because they're white. Okay? Just like white people did to black people back in the 60s. I mean, how insane is it that we see these things happening and yet only 60 years ago, Martin Luther King gave a speech that electified the country and united us as a people. I mean, sometimes it's beyond my understanding. Martin Luther King would be rolling over in his grave. He probably is. Okay? Those who claim to be against racism are some of its most prolific practitioners. And the Democrat left is a perfect example of that. The 1619 Project and critical race theory, these things that are being taught in our schools, I think people are starting to, to, to kick back against that because they know what bullshit it is. Okay? The idea that racism is so ingrained and institutional in America that it prevents black people or people of color from realizing their potential and exercising their liberty and, and uh, you know, that it prevents them from being successful is just patently false. All have the equal opportunity to be as successful as they want. They can achieve anything. Anyone can achieve anything. And the idea that I can prevent a person of color from achieving success because I and millions of others have this thing called white privilege and take advantage of a system that caters to white folk is complete bullshit. I mean, look at all the examples of how this country lives up to its principle, okay, that started in the Declaration of Independence, that all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There are countless examples of success, no matter what color or race you are, in this country, and more so in this country than any other country on the face of the planet. That's why they all try to get here, okay? They don't try, you don't see people trying to escape America to go to Soviet Russia or Russia, okay? I'm, I'm start, my 1980s roots are coming back. Uh, you don't see people trying to escape America, okay, to go to places like Venezuela, okay? They're all trying to get here. And that's because the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States lives up to its principles, okay? And this country lives up to those principles. 
We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this is exactly what we all can achieve if only we take the opportunities that are presented before us, okay? No matter who we are or what we are, we can live and work the life the way we choose to live it and work it if we take advantage of what this country has to offer, which is, of course, at the core, liberty and opportunity for all, okay? These two concepts are not esoteric and exclusive to just a few, okay, folks? They're not gifted by any man or woman or any government, and they're certainly not withheld from any man or woman by virtue of their skin color or class or station in life, although the left certainly wants it that way, okay? We all share in a spirit, an American spirit, that understands this. And our spirit in this regard is stronger here in this country than anywhere else in the world. Okay? But we got to recognize that there are those who seek to subjugate it, that American spirit, by manipulating the environment and understanding of what all of that is. They seek to make it exclusive to themselves, really and to make it elusive to the rest of us by virtue of their divisive ideologies and narratives that in the end will result in a system of inequality and poverty for the people of all races, colors, and creeds. Our founding fathers understood this, and that's why they created this republic. They placed us on the path that would continue to move beyond the world order as the world knew it at that time and increase not only economic prosperity, but that spirit of freedom and national unity born out of equal opportunity, no matter where in the world one came from or their status and station in life. It's really that simple, folks. There's, there's no higher math to it. Now, we understand that this path that we were put upon would surely be a difficult one to follow, okay? And we've seen throughout history it would have its shares of strife and evolutionary and revolutionary growing pains throughout history, okay? But even in the first year of our birth as a nation, we set our sights on this notion that all men were created equal under God and were equal under the law, and that every man would be able to participate in this great experiment called America. That's the truth of it. It took us a good while to get there, And I believe that we have realized that principle. This is the truth that the likes of BLM and Antifa, the Democrat Party, and other such regimes don't want you to understand. But understand it, we do. We do understand this. And it's precisely why they seek to indoctrinate children with things like critical race theory uh, and other lies emanating from the left. Lies and selected distortions of our history that seek to paint today with the colors of the past, like what the 1619 Project does, okay? And for those of you that don't know what the 1619 Project is, uh, here's, here's what I got off the net, okay, about this. And it's, it's virtually identical in every search that I made, every, every <laughs> like, two pages of, of ten entries about this thing. Uh, It says that the 1619 Project is a long-form journalism project developed by Nicole Hannah-Jones, the writers from the New York Times and New York Times Magazine, which aims to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. Now, we know, of course, that the 1619 Project wasn't the first effort made by the left to exploit the issue of race. Okay, critical race theory goes back to uh, 
uh, the 60s, okay? And maybe even a little bit before that. Uh, But in recent history, we can point to the increasingly distorted narrative that blacks and people of color were systematically, systemically, and methodically oppressed and subjugated in this country to poverty, police brutality, and the discrimination that would cause people of color to never realize the fruits of our nation's historical labors by the likes of Colin Kaepernick, who gained notoriety not only for his mediocre football talent, but for thrusting the narrative that people of color were systemically being abused, oppressed, and and brutally murdered by a racist law enforcement regime in this country. Okay? But like I said, we can go further back in history and recognize where these narratives and accusations were once true. Okay? But this is one of those places where the left wants to obfuscate the truth, and people like Kaepernick and Nicole Hannah-Jones want to hide the fact that these narratives are today untrue and never applied to people like them. Those two are living contradictions to their own claims, okay? I think if anybody looks into the claims made by Colin Kaepernick and uh, Hannah Jones, I can literally debunk every assertion made by Kaepernick, and I can do it with national statistics, observable facts, FBI statistics. I, I, can, I can debunk every assertion that he's ever made, particularly as it relates to today. Like I said, you can go back in history and you can find examples of where uh, things that he says were actually true. But in the 21st century, I don't think so. Same thing goes for Hannah Jones. Okay, history makes mincemeat out of her assertions where she cherry picks history and omits facts to write her papers that essentially creates the foundation of the lie that America is an evil racist country hell bent on keeping black people oppressed. Okay, she gets it in writing. Okay, and the 1619 Project can be directly tied to critical race theory, which our schools are teaching to our kids in alarming numbers. Okay, but more on that later. Okay, critical race theory has actually been around uh, longer than this 1619 project, but you can kind of look at both of them. And the critical race theory, okay, now has a uh, historical, even though it's a made up one, historical foundation for its claims. Okay, now, what is critical race theory? In order to understand critical race theory, you kind of have to look between the lines or read between the lines of what their basic five tenets are, okay? Now, this, this comes from a legal insurrection article uh, that I found, and it articulates uh, exactly the way that I, want, that I would want to convey this, okay? They make these lofty claims and these seemingly noble claims about what they're all about, but if you observe what they're teaching and what they're doing, uh, it, it's none of that, okay? It's far more sinister than that, okay? The five tenets of critical race theory, let, let's just go through those just for a minute. It asserts that racism is the central component of American life, okay? Actually, if you observe how critical race theory is being taught, Critical race theory actually asserts that racism is the central, the central component of American life and has invaded every aspect of it or pervades every aspect of it, okay? In other words, racism is in everyone and everything that, that is America, okay? Um, except for the black person, 
incidentally, and interestingly enough. It challenges the claims of neutrality, objectivity, colorblindness, and meritocracy in society. Actually, it challenges not just the claims of those things, but also challenges the idea that they are worthwhile goals. Uh, CRT considers meritocracy to be utterly bogus and inherently racist and would like to eliminate it as a goal or standard. Okay, It would like to substitute color awareness and eliminate colorblindness. Same for objectivity and neutrality, which are defined as white values and inherently racist. Okay? Critical race theory asserts that the experiential knowledge of people of color is appropriate, legitimate, and an integral part to analyzing and understanding racial inequality. I don't think you'd find very many people, in fact, any at all, really, I don't think you'd find anybody who doesn't think that the experiences of black people and other minorities and people of color are worthwhile to hear. Okay, but it actually is CRT actually asserts that this experiential knowledge is far more important than observable fact or statistics in the aggregate. In other words, the the anecdotal evidence is of far more importance than anything else. And it's only the anecdotal evidence of people of color that matters. Okay. CRT challenges ahistorism and the undisciplinary focuses of most analyses and insists that race and racism be placed in both a contemporary and historical context using interdisciplinary methods. I don't even know what the hell that means, okay? There's so much jargon in there that that I, I, I almost can't see what the hell this is all about. But I think that what it's saying is, is that it it's... It's trying to change history by bringing in a perspective that makes history into whatever the critical race theory people want it to be, okay? And your example there is the 1619 Project, okay? The 1619 Project wants history to be what it wants it to be, what Nicole Hannah-Jones wants it to be, okay? Because she profits off of this racial division, as does the Democrat left. There you go. CRT says that it's a framework that is committed to a social justice agenda to eliminate all forms of subordination of people, okay? This is more BS, okay, That's that kind of obscures what's really happening, okay? Social justice agenda is an example of what Thomas Sowell referred to in his book, uh, The Quest for Cosmic Justice, uh, as an endeavor that is doomed to create more problems than it solves, as Sowell writes in his book, um, in its pursuit of justice for a segment of society in disregard of the consequences for society as a whole, what is called social justice might be more accurately uh, be called anti-social justice, since what consistently gets ignored or dismissed are precisely the costs to society. In other words, he's saying that the cost of achieving justice matters, Okay. And another way of saying the same thing that he said is that uh, justice at all costs is an injustice. And the cost of that injustice is what the innocent people pay, okay? If correcting injustice imposes an injustice on another innocent person, it's not really justice. Those who promote critical race theory don't say dick 
about the anti-white racism and the consequences inherent in the justice-at-all-costs ideology that comes with critical race theory. Okay? This is dangerous stuff, folks. Okay? Because in these two racially charged and dishonest assertions and theories, you have the basis and an avenue of approach to Marxist ideas that include equitable outcomes in all aspects of American life, to include justice, okay? It, between these two ideologies, we're basically saying, or they're basically saying, because we are the victims of a historical injustice, and because we continue to suffer because of that historical injustice, then all of American life, its principles, and its institutions are unjust. And because they are unjust, we must make it just. And it must be just for all. And so, we must replace our constitutional republic with a socialist regime in which the government will force justice upon others as we see fit. This is Marxism. This is communism. To the core. Sean Wylance, who is one of America's leading historians, uh, who writes about the scandal of the New York Times' uh, 1619 Project and the moral and intellectual capitulation of American historians to its fraudulent claims. Uh, he wrote a book called Live Not By Lies, okay? And I'm going to read you an excerpt from that book that he wrote, okay? And this will kind of, this will kind of give you an idea of just what kind of dangerous ideologies we're dealing with here, okay? Uh, Hida Margolis Cavalli, a disillusioned Czech communist whose husband was ex executed after a 1952 show trial, reflects on the willingness of people to turn their backs on the truth for the sake of an ideological cause. It is not hard for a totalitarian regime to keep people ignorant. Once you relinquish your freedom for the sake of understood necessity, for party discipline, for conformity with the regime, for the greatness and glory of the fatherland, in her case, uh, or for any of the substitutes that are so convincingly offered, you cede your claim to the truth. Slowly, drop by drop, your life begins to ooze away, just as surely as if you had slashed your own wrists. You have voluntarily condemned yourself to helplessness. You can surrender your moral responsibility to be honest out of misplaced idealism. You can also surrender it by hating others more than you love the truth. In pre-totalitarian states, Aaron writes, hating respectable society was so narcotic that elites were willing to accept the monstrous forgeries in historiography for the sake of striking back at those who, in their view, had excluded the underprivileged and oppressed from the memory of mankind. For example, many who didn't really accept Marx's revisionist take on history, that it is a manifestation of class struggle, were willing to affirm it because it was a useful tool to punish those they despised. Here's an important example of this happening in our time and place. In 2019, the New York Times, the world's most influential newspaper, launched the 1619 Project, a massive attempt to reframe American history by displacing the 1776 Declaration of Independence as the traditional founding of the United States and replacing it with the year the first African slaves arrived in North America. And that's in 1619. 
No serious person denies the importance of slavery in U.S. history, but that's not the point of the 1619 Project. Its goal is to revise America's national identity by making race hatred central to the nation's foundational myth. And despite the project's core claim that the Patriots fought the American Revolution to preserve slavery, having been thoroughly debunked, journalism's elite saw it fit to award the project's director a Pulitzer Prize for her contribution. Equipped with this matchless imprimatur of establishment respectability, the 1619 Project, which has already been taught in 4,500 classrooms, will find its way into many more. Propaganda helps change the world by creating a false impression of the way the world is. The force possessed by totalitarian propaganda before the movement has the power to drop the iron curtains to prevent anyone's disturbing by the slightest reality. The gruesome quiet of an entirely imaginary world lies in its ability to shut the masses off from the real world. And we have become a country in which people are eager to be lied to if it satisfies what they wish to believe. And this is not going to end well for us. By revising history, by changing history, and recharacterizing it the way that they want, the so-called proponents of equality are anything but. What they really want to do is to create a dehumanized segment of American society, okay, by using historic injustices to create today's enemies. Candace Owens has a uh, piece in where she talks about the dehumanization of people in order to pave the way for totalitarian regimes. And I think, and I wish I had it here. Maybe I'll find it and I'll put it uh, into this cast. But if you ever find it, I strongly urge you to listen to it because she is absolutely correct. And she is in total agreement with everything that I've said here today. We better recognize that the fight is here, folks. We are fighting an ideological war. We're fighting against propaganda as perpetrated by racists and Marxists and the Democrat Party that subscribes to these ideologies and takes advantage of them. And if you don't believe that, then I'll remind you that the founders of Black Lives Matter were self-proclaimed Marxists. And like true elitist communists, the primary founder of that movement used the millions of dollars received given by people and corporations who fell prey to their lies not to uplift anyone in the black community, or any community for that matter. No. She used millions of contributions to buy homes and to personally enrich herself. Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the 1619 Project, the proponents of critical race theory, they are attempting to usher in an era of authoritarianism, socialism, and ultimately communism. And I think they know it. They know it. Because they want government to provide what they see as equity and outcome. And by teaching these things in our schools to our children, by encouraging our children to disparage their parents' Christian and constitutional values, by encouraging our children to despise themselves and others and American exceptionalism and their country, they are attempting to lay the foundations for their nefarious objectives. And the objectives that the left seeks is the abolishment of the middle class, leaving only the elite and the poor whereby the elite will dictate just how free and successful the individual may be. 
and it'll all be under the guise of justice and fairness and safety. And they'll be punishing those who oppose such a regime, labeling them as white supremacists, terrorists, insurrectionists, and racists. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, people. This is just the tip of the iceberg. And the only thing that prevents them from being successful at this point is us and our constitutional republic principles. People are standing against these ideologies and are overtly and loudly opposing them. And it's not just white or black opposing them. It's both. Because we recognize this for what it is. And we recognize what it is that we are and why. We're Americans. All races, all ethnicities aside, we are all Americans. Men and women. And we live not in fear, but we live free. And we live free together, not apart. We work, we live, day by day, together. And we recognize that what the left is doing is attempting to divide us all by class, by race, because a conflicted and divided people is an easily subjugated people. And I'm telling you, we will not be subjugated. Recognize the field, people. Understand the fight that we are in. Because we are in a fight. I mean, hell, the left declared war on us two decades ago. And now their masks and their ideological gloves are off. And it's time to resist. And with that, folks, I'm going to take a break. And uh, stay tuned because uh, not like, I mean, it's, it's not like I'm going anywhere. There's no real commercials or anything like that, right? Uh, if you're listening, uh, you know, if you're listening to this thing, keep listening. Because in the next half hour, folks... I'm going to be talking about the people that have returned to fire against this particular ideology, these ideologies, and local government regimes. Yes, I'm talking about the school boards that seek to indoctrinate our children. I'm talking about the parents that have brought the fight to these local school boards and to these local government regimes and ideologies that seek to indoctrinate and subjugate our children. So, stay tuned, folks. I'll be back. Uh, Stay tuned for the next half hour of The Last Stand. October 21st, 2016. So, the other day, I had gone to Winston to help out with Junior to get him to school so Michelle could go to her doctor's appointment that morning. I had gotten there early... And when he awoke, I said, Hey, Junior. Hey, Daddy, he said in that tired little boy voice, rubbing his eyes. I made him pancakes, and he ate them. Now, he doesn't just eat one thing for breakfast. It's strange the way he'll eat a little of one thing and then ask for another thing. But that's how little boys do. A little later, we're on our way to school, and I begin to tell him about the mountains, that autumn is here that fall is here. Fall? Junior asked. Yes, Junior. Fall. He's been fiddling with his iPad, looking intently at the program that he's manipulating, and I can hear the cartoonish sound effects mixed in with the sound of travel and talk. And when we get there, we'll eat breakfast and visit Grandfather Mountain and cross the Mile High Bridge. The Mile High Bridge? he asked, without looking from his iPad. Yes, Junior the Mile High Bridge, and it's very high. We'll cross the bridge and hike around the mountain, 
and we'll go into town and check out the local stores for mountain man stuff. And you can ride your bike at the cabin, too. Me, too, he said, which is his way of saying he wants to do that with me. Junior always has a way of saying things that don't sound like they're part of the conversation you're having. But you get to know what he means by what he says when he says it. And all the while, he barely looks up from his iPad, enjoying what he loves to do before his regular work day. About five minutes out from the school, I look back and he's smiling, looking out the window. I assumed it was something he'd seen as we were driving and I looked to see what it might be. You never know what will catch his attention at any given moment and you gotta keep your eyes open so you can see it. He's kind of like a squirrel. I couldn't see anything that jumped out at me, so I just continued driving, and eventually we arrived. I walked him into the school and then to his classroom. His teacher greeted him with the usual, hello, Nicholas, and in that typical I'd rather be playing outside voice, he said, hi. Oh, how I knew that sound. There's my boy. (laughs) There he is. And as I said goodbye, I told him I'd be picking him up from school and that we'd go to the park afterward. He said, okay. And then I left. At the end of the day, I picked him up from school, and true to my word, we went to the park. He climbed a tree and walked around the entire park, eventually leading me to the train tracks, where he always wants to walk down. We walked for a while, and when it was time, I took him home. It was a good day. About an hour down the road, on my way home, I get a call from his mother. She said, I'm not fussing at you but you gotta watch what you tell him before school. And I said, huh? What do you mean? So she told me. His teacher said that he wasn't focused on his work and didn't want to do his work all day. Of course, I was trying to figure out what might have set him off, and I couldn't think of what it might be. All day, he kept talking about the mountains and the bridge with Daddy, and Daddy was coming to get him to go to the mountains and ride his bike. All day, he didn't want to do his work. And of course I said, well, I kind of need to remember, I need to remember that, and he needs to learn that his work is important and to do what the teacher asks. That's the father in me. After we hung up, I started to think about it, and then it dawned on me. I suddenly figured out why he'd been smiling, looking out the window at nothing in particular. I shouldn't have been too surprised, but I am, every time it happens. And I realized that he'd been paying attention to every word that I had said. And that thought brought a smile to my face. As I thought about all the things that I said we were going to do, I couldn't help but smile. And that's the daddy in me. And the lesson I learned that day was you really got to keep your eyes open because you never know what will catch his attention at any given moment. Because without my knowing it, 
his attention was on me. And for the rest of the day, he anticipated a weekend in October, like most little boys anticipate Christmas morning. And that's my boy. That's my junior. Is it hot in here, or is it just me? Oh. (laughs) It's the show. That's right, folks. You're listening to The Last Stand, the first and last bastion of hope that is the First Amendment and the freedom of speech and my less than humble but nevertheless unapologetically accurate and righteous opinions. (laughs) I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm going to let this song go a little bit. I'm kind of digging it. Welcome back to the show, folks. Uh, you know, I'm just looking at the at the clock here, and I'm almost at an hour. I'm at like 50 minutes now. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to I'm not going to make this into a two parter. After all, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go long on this one part. Okay, don't worry, dry your eyes. In the next couple of weekends, I'll have another episode out there, but. Uh, I think I'm just going to make this one long because I don't want to split this up. So uh, what have we been talking about here uh, in the last fascinating, fact-filled half hour of this show or more? (laughs) Uh, Well, we've been talking about the 1619 Project, Black Lives Matter, the false narratives that people like Nicole Hannah-Jones and Colin Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter and leftists in the Democrat Party are kind of fomenting that America is systemically racist and that America is an inherently evil country that seeks to oppress people of color and that if white folk don't recognize their white privilege and acknowledge that America is racist, then you got to be racist, right? And we've talked about what the true intentions of critical race theory uh, is and what that whole piece is, the 1619 Project as well, uh, what that is and what its true intentions are. And the fact that your children are being taught this tripe in your schools. And parents have had enough. They have had enough. They've had enough of the whole thing, folks. They've had it with activist teachers indoctrinating their children, disparaging their own parents, disparaging the parents of these kids. 
they've had it through the COVID nightmare and all of the mask mandates on children, you know, which incidentally in the state of North Carolina, I went through the whole statistic piece uh, about how many kids have gotten infected with COVID-19, okay? Uh, In the state of North Carolina, the last time I got the numbers from anybody, okay, I think the number stands at eight kids have died in the state of North Carolina. They've died with COVID, okay? But parents have had enough of all this, and they've endured all of this crap through the lies from the schools and the school boards that, you know, CRT isn't taught in schools, when we know it is, right? I mean, they tried to deny it as something that's being only taught in law and postgraduate schools, right? But soon we discovered that they were lying about that as well. They tried to say it wasn't being taught in schools, and then it was, well, it's only being taught in law and postgraduate schools, and now it's in your face, in your kids' schools, okay? We found that all out, okay? And parents have had enough of that. And when parents have tried to express their outrage at these policies that that are affected in the schools due to the political ideologies that these teachers and school boards subscribe to, the school boards have shut the parents down. And parents have had enough of that, okay? And it's gotten so bad from the school boards and from schools that the National School Board Association actually wrote a letter to the president basically equating assertive and outraged parents, you know, utilizing their First Amendment right to express their outrage and have their grievances addressed and expressed. They've actually equated parents to domestic terrorists. That's how bad it's getting, and parents aren't having it. The people aren't having it, okay? I mean, I've got examples of school board tyranny here, and and I'm going to play a few of these clips. Um, These are examples from Pensbury, Pennsylvania, and Loudoun County, Virginia. These are kind of early examples, okay? But this is the kind of battles that parents have been in since 2020, okay? And it's only escalated since then. But listen to listen to these examples of what parents are up against and what this is all turning out to be. Are we alone? Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to call me out, I'm going to you up. <laughs> the unfiltered conversation caught on camera Wednesday night among the board of trustees with the Oakley Union Elementary School District. They don't know what we right. do behind the scenes, and it's really unfortunate exactly. that they want to pick on us because right. they want their babysitters back. Right. Right. One moment got big laughs after a member spoke about parents using marijuana. My brother had a delivery service for medical marijuana. The high clientele were parents with their kids in school. <laughs> the candid discussion that lasted several minutes abruptly cuts off when they realize they had an audience. Oh, we have the meeting open to the public right now. Nuh-uh. Someone not only tuned in, but recorded the meeting and uploaded it to YouTube. A school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia, a brawl breaking out and a couple of people were arrested. Parents protesting the woke school policies. 
But things really get heated after officials try to shut down debate during the meeting. As long as you Marxists push your unconstitutional agenda on my child, she will not be returning back to Loudoun County schools. You're teaching children to hate others because of their skin color. And you're forcing them to lie about other kids' gender. And now the uh, chair of the school board is accusing parents of, quote, a dog whistle politics and says she will continue to focus on equity. There's that word for students. Not equality, but equity. How can you have equity for students? That means they all have to have the same outcome. Yeah. That's crazy. We now know uh, over the past year that the teachers' unions are corrupt. CRT is intellectually corrupt and even psychologically damaging. It feels like the time is right for an educational tea party, like a movement. This is the right and the left, black and white, uniting against the teaching of racism and reverse racism to our students. And that's what this is. This is reverse racism. And people are galvanized. And I would say it's a new part of the Tea Party. Joe Biden himself said America is not a racist country. Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris agreed. So critical race theory is teaching that we are a racist country. So this is even too crazy for Joe and Kamala. And look what they're doing. I looked at the Loudoun County little handbook they are creating an anonymous racism snitch line. Ah. They're oh, saying you have to confront how white people are unconsciously biased against black people, and they're demanding white teachers identify their white fragility, and they don't want white teachers to see color. They don't want, they want, they don't want them to be colorblind. And, yeah. and that's crazy, and that's what people are upset about. Yeah. And, and it's all across the country. In Oregon, uh, math is racist. They're saying that black people can't succeed in this country, that if you're white, you're only succeeding because of a white supremacist system that your grandparents set up. It's horrible. And I'm glad people are rising up and snuffing it out. Before the governing school board today is a vote for a new curriculum that appears well-intentioned, appealing, even empathetic, but in actuality further divides us. When you peel back the layers of this onion, you will see that it promotes taking from one group in, it, in order to compensate a second group to correct injustices caused by a third group who mistreated a fourth group by an earlier point in an earlier point in history. It's absurd. Not only does it uh, not promote justice, it does, it does the opposite. It promotes racism. And you cannot cure racism with more racism. When you talk about critical race theory, which is pretty much going to be teaching kids how to hate each other, how to dislike each other, that's pretty much what it's going to, that's pretty much, I don't care say, it's pretty much what it's going to all come down to. You're going to deliberately teach kids, this white kid right here got it better than you because he white? You're going to purposely tell a white kid, oh, the black people are all down and suppressed. How do I have two medical degrees if I'm sitting here oppressed? How do I get, first of all, wait, sign up, because I only got five minutes now, five minutes. Two medical degrees. No mom, no dad in the house. Worked my way through college. Sat there and hustled my butt off to get through college. You gonna tell me somebody that looked like all y'all white folks kept me from doing that? Are you serious? Black folks are getting told by other black folks, oh, you know you ain't gonna be able to do nothing out there in the world because them white folks ain't gonna let you get no, oh, you know you're not gonna be able to do it because you know, white, the, the white man, the white man gonna keep you down. Well, how did I get where I am right now if some white man kept me down? How am I now directing over folks that look just like you guys in this room right now? How? What, what, what kept me down? What oppressed me? I work for myself from off the streets to where I am right now. You gonna sit here and tell me this lie of critical race theory? Are you kidding me? Martin Luther King said he wanted his kids to grow up in a world where they are judged by the contents of their what? Character. Their character, not their skin. Absolutely. If they let this stuff go on right now, it is absolutely doing the complete reverse of what he's doing. So when February comes, don't talk about Martin Luther King. 
When February comes, don't talk about black history. None of y'all gonna sit there and just pee, must pee on his grave with this nonsense. That's exactly what's about to happen. When it all comes down to it, the person that's gonna be suffering from this, the one that's gonna be hurt from this, is the kids. These are the kind of thoughts that parents were trying to express to school boards and teachers and, you know, you name it. And they were being shut down. They were being shut down. But they weren't going to take it. That's for damn sure. So let me clearly state, our taxpayer dollars are not money, not monopoly money for you to play with. The misuse of legal services by this board needs to stop. Pivoting. I do want to take a moment to remark over the disturbing misconduct by this board during the April school board meeting when members of this board staged a prepared personal attack on community member Doug Marshall. During those prepared attacks, board members misrepresented facts around equities in schools, presented unindexed statistics that have no reflection on Pensbury. You know, I'm going to stop you there. We, we, we're not going to tolerate misrepresentation of facts around equity. So that's irrelevant and you can stop. In your opinion? No, you can stop, Mr. Daly. You're done. You sure you want to do that, Mr. Yes, Rizzo? I do. All right. We'll see you in court, sir. Just a reminder, you didn't need an equity. I, I said you're done. You didn't need an equity. I said you're done. Mr. Daly, sit down. At the last meeting, the uh, equity and critical race theory audit was reviewed, and the crux of that was that there were different... I, I apologize. It's not what it's called. That is not... That, that's, that's how I'm addressing it. And I, I, it that's I, not what it's called. I, I, that's, it's not what, that's what I'm calling it. I understand, then, but then that's your, not what it's Your comments called. are irrelevant, then, if, if you're not going to call it by the right term. This is, this is the equity policy. Look, some people call It's it the equity policy. policy. All right. I, I'm telling you what I think it is, but if you'd like, I'll use your term, although I disagree with it. Fair right. enough? Equity policy. Go ahead. <clears throat> the curriculum that's being used here in Pensbury, diversity, inclusivity, and, and, and equity, and it's known at by other phrases nationwide, often cherry-picks facts to create what I feel is a predetermined narrative, uh, which again stigmatizes certain groups of people. Um, and yet there are many facts that are not included in the curriculum, which uh, I think just aren't included because they don't fit the official narrative. For example, um, first-generation Nigerian immigrants excel to the top of the academic socioeconomic ladder of success. Or all right, all right. We're, we're just—you're getting into irrelevant things. Just, we're just going to stop you there. You? You're, you're done. Who made you the king you're, of this you're board? Done. You're done. You're done. We're not—we're not going to take that is irrelevant. That's important you're, because it suggests—it it breaks. You're, you're done, Mister. No, I'm not. Yes, done. you are, Mister no, Marshall. You're done. done. You are done. I will sue you as well. You're done. No, I'm not. You're done. What? Based on what? Board policy 903. You are what now being it? disruptive and disorderly. You're done. You're done. You know what? You're finished. You're, you can count on being sued. Robert Abrams, Lower Mayfield Township. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Daly while we were sitting here. He got me some numbers. Apparently, what was sent out by the district, 65% considering uh, the diversity program, 65% are extremely happy now, 27% were neutral, 8% were unhappy. So we're going to build a multi-million dollar program for the 8% that are unhappy. I'll bring the 8% in here. Let them meet with... All right, all right, all right. You're, you're done. You're done. We're not, we're not going through this again, Mr. Abrams. That is not what the equity program is about. And we're not going to sit here and listen to you. You're done. 
You're done. You're done. Honestly, after what you did to the last two, I think you are. You're done. You've already violated the board policy. According to the policy, your public comment has been terminated. And this was the kind of thing that was going on in school board meetings across the country. Okay. And I could, I, I, you know, I have all these clips. I could put up 10, 15 clips of parents fighting back at these school board meetings. But I'm, I'm just going to give you the one that I think that galvanized the parents across this country to take on these school boards, to take on the National School Board Association, to take on these leftists and this leftist Democrat Party ideology and this march to Marxism. This is the defining moment. This is the moment, in my mind, where parents became galvanized and they took the fight to the school boards. This is what defiance of tyranny sounds like, folks. So buckle up. Simon Campbell, 1571 Brookfield Road, Lower Makefield Township. I'm a Pensbury School District resident, Pensbury School District taxpayer. I'm also a former member of the Governing Board of Directors, 2009 to 2013. It's nice to see the old faces. I'm here to speak today. I believe, Gary, you said it was item KKK in the agenda book. Well, isn't that just a perfect, perfect summation of what it is I'm here to talk about? KKK, your proposed new school board policy seeking once again to limit the constitutionally protected speech of American citizens. Now, when I sat on this school board, I believe some of you old-timers might remember this, a union guy spoke at public comment for five minutes and ripped me a new one. He called me the bastard child of Margaret Thatcher. And I sat there and I said to myself, okay, fair enough, welcome to America. He considers me a bastard because I'm in the government. His logic is sound. Now, what happened was the superintendent and the school solicitor at the time freaked out and they didn't put the tape online the next day. And I called them up and I said, get the tape online now before we get sued for censorship. I yelled at the solicitor to, and I asked him what law school he went to because it was clearly constitutionally protected rhetorical hyperbole. I can cite the case if you'd like. And I said to Paul along the superintendent at the time, don't ever cut the tape again, Paul. And by the way, bastard child of Margaret Thatcher, I took it as a compliment. Now, you snowflakes apparently have a bigger problem with public comment. It seems to me that you think you can supersede the United States Constitution. Well, I've got news for you, school board president Benito Mussolini. Your power does not supersede that of the US Constitution and the First Amendment rights of the citizens of this great nation. Let's be very, very clear who has the power. Mr. It is Campbell, not government policy. Do not warn me or do not interrupt my time. That if, if you, you interrupt my time, personal insults do not like that interrupt again, my or time. if you personally direct your comments, you will Let be asked to clear. step away from I'm, the podium. I'm going to I am quote to you, again, make your comments, I'm but quoting do not just do a minute. Do not talk like over me. This is my comment, not your comment. I'm quoting to you now from the United States Supreme Court 1964 case, New York Times versus Sullivan. This is constitutional case law in this country, and I'm quoting you from the U.S. Supreme Court. The, just, the judges wrote that 
This nation is founded on the, quote, profound national commitment to the principle that debate on public issues shall be uninhibited, robust, and wide open, and that it may well include vehement, caustic, and sometimes unpleasantly sharp attacks on government and public officials. That's constitutional case law in this nation. I don't have to be nice to you. Nobody behind me has to be nice to you. If you don't like living in the United States of America, then you can all move to Russia, Cuba, or China. This is the First Amendment. And I will, I will, caution, you, I will caution you, solicitor. There is a video camera to my left. If you edit this tape, then you're going to have a big legal problem on your hands because my right to critique your fascism, which is what this is, is constitutionally protected. There are emails, public record emails, in which the Director of Equity is lobbying and advocating for public comment to be censored in this school district. And you know what? You know what? Lobbying for it, advocating for it. We've got the school board president saying she'll do better at hitting the moot button in blatant violation of the Constitution for her lobbying and her advocacy of unconstitutional censorship. I want you, the school board, to terminate the employment of Dr. Charissa Gibson with immediate effect. terminated her employment, I want all of you to tender your resignations for hating on this country. We have a God-given constitutional right to critique you, and we can speak in any lawful tone that we see fit. And don't go looking around, Benito, because this is the United States of America. You have a good... Uh, one more thing. I want to make a verbal request right now for an unedited copy of the tape. So if any of you delete it, you're going to have a big legal problem. Good night. And he's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Not just in Pensbury, but across the country. And parents shouldn't back down. You remember when Kamala Harris said that the BLM and Antifa protesters, rioters, shouldn't back down, shouldn't stop? Well, guess what? The parents shouldn't stop, and they're not going to stop. So buckle up, Buttercup. The fight's just beginning. And this is the kind of thing that parents have been trying to do uh, in expressing their outrage to what's being taught to our children. And as far as ideologies go, it's not just the racism or the CRT thing that kids are being taught. In North Carolina, uh, the sister program to CRT is SEL, Social Emotional Learning or something like that. Uh, it's all crap, okay? But it's, but it's not just that that's being taught in schools. It's also the other social deviances that they're being taught as well, okay? We just had a story blow up the other day that brought the whole gender fluidity and transgender narratives and ideologies that are affected in school policies to the forefront. I'm going to read you two stories, uh, two articles that were written about this Scott Smith, who was arrested on June 22nd at a school board meeting, a school board meeting that was deemed an unlawful assembly after attendees voiced opposition to a proposed policy expanding special protections to transgender students. Uh, this is an article, the first one I'm going to read is an article from the Washington Examiner, 
Okay, and the headline is, school officials covered up his daughter's rape. Now the NSBA wants to make him a domestic terrorist, okay? Referring to the National School Board Association's letter to the president requesting that the federal government get involved and take action against these assertive and outraged parents. Uh, this is a article written by Beckett Adams uh, from the Washington Examiner. Uh, it was published on October 12th. What few knew at that school board meeting on June 22nd was that there was an alleged rape in a school bathroom by a gender-fluid boy in Loudoun County. Smith, Scott Smith, told the Daily Wire that on May 28th, a boy allegedly wearing a skirt entered a girl's bathroom at a nearby, uh, at nearby Stonebridge High School where he sexually assaulted Smith's ninth-grade daughter. The family's attorney, Elizabeth Lancaster, told the Daily Wire that a boy with, was charged with two counts of forcible sodomy, one count of anal sodomy, and one count of forcible fellatio related to an incident that day at that school. Yet on June 22nd, during the school board's hearing on the proposed policy for transgender students, school board member Beth Bartz said, Our students do not need to be protected, and they're not in danger. Do we have assaults in our bathrooms or locker rooms regularly? Superintendent Scott Ziegler responded, To my knowledge, we don't have any record of assaults occurring in our restrooms, which is complete bullshit. That was a lie. He claims to have not known anything about this, and he did. I think it's important to keep our perspective on this, said Ziegler. We've heard it several times tonight from our public speakers, but the predator transgender student or person simply does not exist. Can you imagine the gall of this guy? Smith was arrested at the hearing during a heated exchange with pro-transgender policy activists. Smith claims that a woman accused him of fabricating the story of his daughter's rape, going so far as to question the girl's mental health. This obviously enraged Smith, who then called the woman a bitch. This is when law enforcement officials intervened, right? A police officer grabbed Smith's arm, prompting the father to yank it back, and a scuffle ensued. Smith was then forcibly removed from the assembly and barred from the school board building. Loudoun County officials voted on August 11th to approve the transgender policy. Okay? Smith learned later that his daughter's alleged assailant reportedly assaulted a second girl, even though Smith was assured the relevant authorities were handling the first matter. So they didn't do anything about his daughter. They never reported it. And they lied at a school board meeting saying that they didn't know anything about it. A teenager from Ashburn has been charged with sexual battery and abduction of a fellow student at Broad Run High School the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office announced in a statement. The investigation determined on the afternoon of October 6th that the 15-year-old suspect forced the victim into an empty classroom where he held her against her will and inappropriately touched her. Smith's attorney says the suspect is the same boy who allegedly attacked her client's daughter, a fact that the Daily Wire confirmed via a confidential government source. The second article that I'm going to refer to is the business and politics, uh, it's business and politics article 
the Culture and Society section of BPR. This was also on October 12th, written by Teresa Monroe Hamilton. Okay, I'm going to read this whole thing to you. A father named Scott Smith, who was forcibly subdued by police, handcuffed and arrested at a Loudoun County, Virginia school board meeting in June, is claiming that his daughter was raped by a gender-fluid boy wearing a skirt who assaulted her in a high school bathroom. Smith's daughter is in ninth grade, and she attends Stonebridge High School. The incident reportedly occurred on May 28, 2021, according to the Daily Wire. The Daily Wire really broke this thing out, man. The father also asserts that the school district is trying to sweep the assault under the rug. Well, they were. They were trying. Okay? Smith's attorney, Elizabeth Lancaster, stated that the boy has been charged with two counts of forcible sodomy, one count of anal sodomy, and one count of forcible fellatio. This kid is a monster. And I'm surprised that nobody's gone after the parents of this kid. If someone would have sat and listened for 30 seconds to what Scott had to say at that meeting, they would have been mortified and heartbroken, Lancaster pointed out. Right before Smith was taken down and arrested, the Loudoun County Public Schools superintendent had addressed the district's transgender policy, asserting that the school system had no record of any assault occurring in any school bathroom. And that enraged Scott Smith, right? Because obviously it's a blatant lie. Right. So the arrest occurred after a leftist told Smith that she didn't believe that his daughter was raped. They got into a heated argument and police came in. And before Smith knew what was happening, he was hit in the face, handcuffed and dragged out of the room with his pants pulled down. Okay, these images went viral. Okay, he's being charged with two misdemeanors. The boy who allegedly attacked Smith's daughter is on house arrest. Lancaster contends that this 15-year-old boy was also charged with sexual battery and abduction after he forced a girl into an empty classroom and then held her against her will and touched her inappropriately. After Smith's daughter was allegedly assaulted, the school called him to tell him, and they claimed that they were handling it in-house. Well, that's horseshit. We know that's bullshit. The police were called to the school because Smith was furious over the handling of the matter. Uh, he says that, I went nuts. I called the principal a pussy. He admitted it. You know, six cop cars showed up like a fucking SWAT team to respond to the school's complaint about an assertive parent. Thank God that I drew enough attention to it without getting arrested and that we got an escort to the hospital and they administered a rape kit that night. That same day, the principal sent out an email claiming that nothing jeopardizing student safety had occurred and instead purportedly made Smith out to be the bad guy. The statement read, Good evening, Stonebridge families. This is Stonebridge Principal Tim Flynn. There was an incident in the main office area today that required the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office to dispatch deputies to Stonebridge. The incident was confirmed to the main office and the entrance area to the school. There was no threat to the safety of the student body. The incident was witnessed by a small number of students who were meeting with staff adjacent to the main office, counseling services, and the services of our unified mental health team are available for any student who may need to talk about today's incident. Students might have noticed sheriff's office personnel on campus, and I wanted to let you know that something out of the ordinary happened at school today. The safety of our students and staff is the top priority 
of Loudoun County Public Schools. Oh, is it really? Is it really? I think Scott Smith would have something to say about that, asshole. Scott Smith, uh, who is a plumber and leans conservative, stated, We're not into this children transgender stuff. The person that attacked our daughter is apparently bisexual and occasionally wears dresses because he likes them. So this kid is technically not what the school board was fighting about. The point is, kids are using it as an advantage to get into bathrooms. As school board members and leftists continually claimed at the meeting on June 22nd that students were not in danger or threatened by transgender individuals, Smith got increasingly angry. Well, why wouldn't he? A leftist named Jackie Schwarm was reportedly a primary antagonist at the school board meeting. She was one of the people who tried to expose parents who were upset by critical race theory being pushed in the school system. Schwarm was at the June 22nd school board meeting. As a Girl Scout troop leader, Smith's wife had mentored Schwarm's daughter. The parents claimed that Schwarm singled them out and demanded to know which side they were on. And Smith asked his wife, Jess, who's this? And his wife replied, I thought she was my friend. And then he attempted to tell Schwarm what had happened to their daughter. And she looks Scott dead in the eyes and says, that's not what happened. And she goes, oh, I'm going to ruin your business on social media. And then that's when he said, you're a bitch. And that's when Smith and the police officer got into it. Other officers tackled him, bloodying his lips. And, you know, that whole, you know, conflict ensued. Scott's wife said, my child was raped at school and this is what happens? Smith was charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest after he was hauled off. In an interview with the Daily Wire, Schwarm reportedly contradicted herself a number of times, feigning innocence, like all leftists do. The meetings continued while school board members and officials are now urging the FBI to investigate parents. And parents and people are shocked at the way the school board was conducting itself. No shit. This is, this is tyranny. This is absolute tyranny. This school knew what had happened. They tried to hide it. Because if it got out, and this, and this is why everybody was telling Scott Smith not to say anything if he wanted to see justice for his daughter. Because everybody involved, they know that if that got out, that it would destroy their transgender policies and ideologies. It would just destroy it, as well as it should. This is the kind of fight that parents are up against, okay? This is what, we're, what parents are up against. And Stanley County in North Carolina isn't immune from these same things, okay? Recently, Stanley County Republican Party nominated and voted on the interim school board chair of the county, to replace Jeff Chance, who recently resigned over claims of threats against his life, which I am increasingly suspect or suspicious of. I'm increasingly suspicious of these claims. Based on the National School Board Association's letter to the president, these school boards knew that they couldn't stop people from coming in. They knew they couldn't stop the outrage. Rather, they held it in legitimate forums, or whether they tried to move it to locations where parents couldn't attend, they knew they couldn't stop it. And so they've resorted to saying that these parents are domestic terrorists, so now we have to, 
you know, we're, we're going to resign. So a lengthy and at times contentious school board meeting on Tuesday night, it ended after more than three hours with board chairman Jeff Chance announcing his resignation after the board came out of closed session. And he made the statement, at this time, I hereby resign from the Board of Education, effective immediately. And he, and he said that before making a motion that the board adjourn. A week after the former school board chairman, Jeff Chance, resigned, the Stanley County Republican Executive Committee convened Tuesday night at its Burleson Square headquarters and agreed upon an individual to replace him on the board. The committee, which is comprised of 27 members, debated for quite some time. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I was there. No. They didn't debate for quite some time. Now, look, we were there for hours, okay? Hours. I think it went from like 6 to 10 at night. Maybe that's quite some time for some of you, but as one of the members had pointed out, uh, we're talking about replacing a board member, a school board member, or a school board chair with someone And we really ought to be able to vet who it is that we're putting in there. And there was a motion that we should not vote on whoever it is that we're putting into the chair position. Uh, We should not vote before October 14th. Now, at that time, it was only a few days, okay? A few days to ask questions, to, to vet these individuals, and that motion failed, okay? So, in the end, Dustin Lisk of Stanfield was selected. The other three nominees that were considered were former school board chairman Melvin Poole, Levi Green, and Jerry Morton. Matthew Swain, who is the uh, party chairman, uh, stated, The nominees all witnessed the vote count and agreed that Mr. Lisk was the winner according to the rules established. No members of the executive committee questioned the decision or requested the count, so it was not announced. Okay, Swain also said that the meeting was very cordial with all sides, nominees, and executive committee members. Uh, they were allowed to ask and answer questions. I was extremely impressed by everyone present, Swain added, and commend all the nominees who were willing to put their names up for election. Dustin Lisk lives in Stanfield, and works as a wealth management advisor with Raymond James. And as a father of two young children, he said he was a, uh, that he had a vested interest in the success and quality of the school system, especially since his oldest child will begin kindergarten next year. Though he knows that the community is unsettled over contentious issues, such as the mask policy, Lisk said that he is up to the challenge to unify our community. Well, I can tell you this, all the nominees that were heard from, and we didn't hear from former school board chairman Melvin Poole due to him being out of town, all three that we heard from, they're not politicians, which could be a good thing, okay? But they're not career politicians. They were all very nice and had some interesting things to say, but in my opinion, Levi Green was the most grounding figure there and most pragmatic and realistic. With all due respect to Mr. Lisk, the two takeaways that I got from him were, we must discern what's in the best interest of the county and the district and the school, and that he was 
for pushing back or advocating for change within the law. You know, he was a law and order guy. Now, of course, he's not going to break any laws, but his he consistently said he'd advocate for change within the system to address things like the mask mandates in certain schools. Okay, uh, we got a lot more than mask mandates that we have to worry about here, folks. But the problem there is there is no law that's been legislated in North Carolina or on a national level that requires children to wear masks. Okay, if you just want to talk about the mask issue, because that's a that's a big deal here in Stanley County. So to reverse course on and to resist these mandate policies would be within the right and would not be breaking any law. The thing that he and people seem to be afraid of was that if he did resist and reverse the mandates, then the government would strip the schools of their budgets in Stanley County. Well, (laughs) my thought was, well, damn them, you know? I mean, that's a fight you can win. Just ask Union County. Just ask Ron DeSantis of Florida. I mean, you might want to pay attention to what happens throughout Florida. Now, I can also tell you that Mr. Morton, who's a pastor at a church that I'm, I, I don't know which one, but he was a firecracker, okay? Uh, he was on fire. But while his heart is in the right place, he didn't inspire confidence in me that he was the right guy for the job. Levi Green was a demonstration in quiet resolve, and while none of them were experienced, he seemed to me to be someone who might have the intestinal fortitude and articulate intelligence to begin the fight against the machine in Cooper's North Carolina administrations and these school officials that have rolled over to the madness that defies common sense and a constitutional republic. One of the, one of the things that was interesting to me was that Lisk has been a Republican for only one year. One year. What was he before that? We didn't really get to know. And like I said, all three nominees were very nice. They were more or less, uh, they more or less tried to say the right things. And Mr. Lisk, more so in my opinion, was trying to say the right thing, the politically correct thing. But, I, you know, look, I have no doubt that he's a sincere parent and is a nice guy. Okay, so don't get me wrong there. But I can also tell you this. While the majority of the voting members of Stanley County uh, Republican Party voted for Lisk, a large segment of the parents, specifically mothers, were not happy with the result, okay? There was almost no visible support from people in attendance that I saw for Lisk. Many of them uh, did cheer Mr. Morton's very rambling, if you will, but genuine and heartfelt patriotic speeches about what we're facing and what he thinks of it, which tells me one thing at least with what I suspect is as large a number of mothers in Stanley County, that the politically correct responses, although they may have been somewhat accurate or prudent, they were not what the people in the back of the room were about, okay? The people in the back of the room that don't have a vote, they wanted someone to say that they were going to fight for them, for their kids. They most definitely connect the dots with what we're seeing happening to our country, our county, and our children. But we also 
must remember that this isn't just about mask mandates and policies in schools, okay? This is also about you, the parents. It's about what this country's future is going to be, socially, economically, spiritually, constitutionally. And you, the parents, are on the front lines for all of it. And the American people have taken notice, and the government has damn sure noticed at all levels. You've been disparaged by teachers, and, and I think we would agree that, you know, uh, most likely most teachers have the interests of the children in, in, in mind, and they recognize where things are going, and it's not good, right? But an alarming number of teachers across the country have disparaged you. They have countermanded you and have begun to poison the children's minds against you, against us, against America, and against themselves. And parents instinctively understand all this, okay? So that's why the Stanley County Republican Party, the executive members who were there that voted for Lisk, okay, they knew that, or at least the suspicion is, that they knew they wouldn't be able to get together any other time, all in one place, at the same time. And so that's why they pushed for the vote to be held that night, okay? Without any real investigation, without any real vetting, that's why they pushed for the vote that night. And the parents in the back of the room, at least the mothers that I spoke to, they understood that as well. And they were none too happy about it, I can tell you that. But that's where we are, folks. Look, CRT is being taught in our schools, as well as other Marxist ideology and the teachings that encourage students and children to look at themselves as racists for having white privilege and taking advantage of an inherently racist system. They're being forced to wear masks. They're being forced to distance. They're being forced uh, all of this that is harmful to them, harmful to the kids. Parents understand and know that teachers have outright told their students that their parents are dumb and that the children are smarter than their parents, actively encouraging children to rebel against their parents and the values of their parents. Okay? Basically, what they're teaching our kids is that the government is absolute and that if anyone opposes what the government is doing, that person should be arrested and ruined. The one thing that they aren't teaching is that the people have a right to have grievances addressed. Somebody who told me uh, there was one school board meeting where a young teen had spoke out and said that the parents who are loudly admonishing and challenging these school boards should sit down because they need to respect the government because the government is in charge, not the parents. And... <laughs> And now, when parents challenge these officials, it's now being considered attacks and violence and terroristic. And this kid had no idea, because he wasn't taught, that the people have a right to have their grievances expressed and addressed. And that's where we are, folks. If you don't align with the government's COVID measures and mandates, you're the enemy. If you don't subscribe to critical race theory and BLM doctrine— you're the enemy. If you want accountability from our government, you're the enemy. If you stand up for your children 
and oppose the adverse ideologies of the left, you're the enemy. And if you're a Christian, you're definitely the enemy. If you want your children to be taught Christian values, you're the enemy. If you attempt to use your God-given right to speak out against communist and racist ideologies being taught to your children, you're the enemy. Those who commit to the lie, I said this before, those who commit to the lie do not like being challenged. Those who hold power for power's sake don't like being challenged. The Democrat left continues its assault against American values and the values of hardworking, freedom-loving, and devoted parents. Someone once said that our children is the future of this country. That's true. Another said that there is no more important asset than our children. That might be true. But children are children, and they are your children. And from my position, from my perspective, as I watch what's being done to this country by this administration and its political party, I'm of the mind that as of today, as of now, there is no more important asset to our children and this country than you, the parents. You are the most important asset this country and this republic have right now. Because it's not just about the future, folks. It's about right now. And what we do right now, that's what will determine just how important our children will be in the future. We're seeing parents rise up in defense of their children, but it is also in defense of this nation. And by virtue of your resistance to this tyranny and indoctrination perpetrated against you and your children, you are standing with countless others who are taking a stand against the tyranny of the left. And the left, they have one hell of a head start in America. So people, I'm going to tell you something that you've heard before. Something that you know in your heart must be done. Do not comply. Do not be intimidated. Do not be bullied into submission. You are fighting for your children. And you are fighting for the future of this country. The last bastion of hope and liberty in a world used to being subjugated and lied to. For if you fail, if you fall or flag, and the purveyors of fascism and the Democrat left succeed in their objectives, your children will grow up in a very different world than we knew. And there'll be a time when our children will not know what true liberty and justice and peace with and for all of us looks like. And when that happens, and the left eventually come for them, they will have no template from which to defend themselves. For the voices of our fathers will be whatever the left says it is. And that is why your voice, your presence, and your efforts, that is why you are the most important asset your children and this country have. I'm behind you, this country is behind you, and this fight has just begun. So there you have it, folks. Another astounding and inspiring episode of The Last Stand. If you're hearing this for the first time and it strikes a patriotic chord with you, then by all means, share this podcast. Share the shit out of it. I'm on Anchor FM, 
of course, as The Last Stand with Wild Bill. And, of course, I'm on Spotify, which, incidentally, has now become the majority of my listeners. Okay? Uh, Look for The Last Stand, folks. Look for the unalive gunslinger taking aim at the left with his right. So thanks for listening, folks. It's because of you that I do what I do. And in the next two weeks, I'll be back. So stay tuned for The Last Bastion of Hope. That is the First Amendment and the expression of free speech that outrages leftists everywhere. Stay safe. Keep fighting the good fight. Booyah.